John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Skip down to verse 15. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they ask him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, skipping down to verse 23. But he continued, You are from below. I am from below, above. I am from above. You are this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I will tell the world. Verse 27. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father, so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, continue to bless the rest of this service, the opening of your word, and the preaching that Randy has for us today. Amen. Aren't you so grateful for the light in the darkness? Uh, if you've ever experienced the, the dark, if you've ever dealt with a time in your life where you needed just a little ray of hope, that is who God is in your life. And man, he is the very thing that we need in every single season of our life. And this one is no different. And uh, I appreciate so much the band and uh, their time of worship. I know that, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, this is just the preliminary. No, 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 no. This is worship. This is where we allow our heart uh, to be connected to God. And in the process of knowing that he is hearing our heart, we are being changed because our life follows our emotion. And so as we worship him from our hearts and speak to him in a way that is not just simply from our heads, but from our hearts, it is a beautiful thing as we connect to him and receive strength. And even in that passage of scripture from, uh, from John chapter 8, Jesus was predicting his death, but he also had a beautiful kind of double meaning. 
He said, once you lift the Son of Man up, you're going to see my glory. And what he was talking about was that you're going to lift him up onto the cross. But there is also a truth and a biblical principle there that when we as his people lift him up, that he is going to draw all men to himself, including you and including me, as we lift him up with our hearts, with our voices, with our, with our minds in every way. So we thank the Lord for these wonderful, beautiful people. We've got the best looking worship band in the entire United States. I'm sorry, everyone else. I'm sorry you're looking for second place. And just appreciate you guys. We thank you so much. We got Isis and we got Naeem and David and Ugo. Ugo, look right there in that camera real quick. Don't be afraid. He's a good guy. I swear it. But that's the coolest mask that you've ever seen that will prevent the coronavirus. My very favorite uh, worship team member is right here, uh, Miss Shelly Puckett. And uh, did I, I think I went the other way. So this is Miss Kenya Castro. And we appreciate them. Um, the handful of folks today, let's give them a hand. Amen. I mean, good stuff. We appreciate you guys. And uh, may God bless you. I hope you have your Bibles there with you and you can just kind of leave them open uh, to John chapter 8. And so I'm going to be preaching and teaching from John chapter 8, the verse of scripture that you heard just a moment ago uh, that Eric was reading from. It's been a crazy couple weeks, hasn't it, y'all? Oh my goodness. It really has been strange to see things moving and changing the way that they have. But if you're like most people, you might have had the opportunity uh, to kind of get out there and meet people in your, you know, in your neighborhoods that you didn't meet before. Uh, I don't know if you can maybe check it out, but I got an opportunity to meet my neighbor. There's a picture of me meeting my neighbor. I just took a picture of him. Uh, totally normal, you know, no real craziness going on at all. That's just my neighbor welcoming me and saying hello. And uh, Shelly was so impressed with that, that uh, she went, that's her. You can see the back of her head right there. She was looking for something in HEB that might help me to make sure that I remove my or keep my social distance you know you know how I am I like to hug people and give high fives and fist bumps and shake hands and all that Shelly's just trying to help me to make sure I'm doing my social distancing um, but you can also check this out if your kids are getting on your nerves there's a new way for you to do a play date it's out there so just definitely check it out uh, you'll have an opportunity to enjoy getting out there and uh, hopefully it, it won't be like this forever right amen yeah, it's truly crazy out there. The truth is, is that when you're dealing with the coronavirus situation, I mean, we are here to, today and kind of online together. Last week, there were just a little over 2,000 cases. And then today, as we stand here, there's somewhere around 24,000. And so that's somewhere between 10 and 12,000 difference, or 12 and, uh, 10 and 12 times uh, difference in the number of cases that are out there. And I'm not in any way trying to make light of it. I'm trying to kind of inject a little bit of humor just simply because it's a difficult time out there. Our whole world has been changed and turned upside down. But as you know, if you joined us last week, my intention is not to kind of change things around because the truth of the matter is, is that even though I had no idea what the coronavirus or COVID-19 was just a few months back when I started thinking and praying about sharing this um, particular uh, teaching series entitled, Who Do You Think I Am?, 
Uh, talking about the seven I am's of Jesus. And this is not something that's new to me. There are people out there that have uh, preached through this message series. Billy Graham has preached through the seven I am's. It is a powerful set of scriptures. And you heard today as Eric shared, I am the light of the world. It is an amazing passage of scripture that he read with us. And we'll kind of be referring to that. But just understand that I don't want to turn around and go back. I don't want to say, no, 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 um, I'll just talk about the coronavirus and forget those things because the truth of the matter is, is that whenever I set this in motion, I didn't know what coronavirus was. I had no idea what COVID-19 stood for, but God did. And so what I've tried to do is to look at the messages that I was planning on preaching and say, okay, God, you knew this was going to happen and you laid these other things on my heart. What do you have to say to us in the midst of all the craziness that's going on? And just share something with you know, your children, your people from your word, because you already knew that it was there. And I thought to myself, today's message is perfect in that it is all about Jesus as the light of the world. The truth is, is that if you and I sometimes we begin to talk about these things that we feel, we feel darkness. Anytime we get to worrying or anytime we get worried about the things that are coming in the days ahead, we can even refer to them at times in these terms where we say, oh, there's dark days ahead. Or, man, I think about that and it just feels like something's pressing down. The darkness is closing in on me. And we understand these phrases kind of are universal in many ways because that's how we feel. It's a good description. But in these dark days where we're worried about coronavirus and how suddenly it's spreading and what this means in the long term and all of those things, I, I talk with you guys today not as a guy who's worried to death about tomorrow because we have no control. Well, the truth is, is that we don't have control, but we know who does. And the truth is, is that we can feel the darkness closing in on us, and that is when we desperately need to turn our face towards the one who is the light of the world. If you are dealing with darkness kind of seeping in, and especially if you're a person who's watching the news 24-7, man, I promise you, you are probably struggling just to maintain that you know, head above water kind of feeling emotionally because you're worried all about the, the stock market, you're worried all about the finances, who's going to lose their job, who's going to keep their job, all of these things that you're so desperately worried about. God has already seen what is coming, and he is going to watch over and protect us, his children. He is going to do that. But we have to lean into him, as I prayed a little earlier. I just wanted to kind of share with you the image of the lighthouse. You know, you talk about a lighthouse and what that means. If you can just kind of put yourself in an old uh, frame of mind as a person who is on a ship who's been out on the dark ocean for days, months, you know, whatever it is. And as you approach the shore, you see civilization. You see solidity instead of all the waves that are crashing. You see something that is solid and true. You see the land because you begin to see the light from the lighthouse. It tells you where you are. And I'm here to tell you that if you are a Christian, 
You don't need to worry about who you, you know, where you are because you know that God knows exactly who you are and where you are and what you need. God is going to provide. Do I know exactly what that looks like or means or is going to take the shape of what? No, I don't know those things. That is not my job to know, but it is my job to trust that God who brought us this far has not washed his hands and said, now I'm done. No, no, God will bring us through. And I believe that with all of my heart in your situation and in mine. So today we talk about these seven I am statements that kind of refer back to the passage of scripture from Exodus chapter three. I've talked a little bit about this. I've referred to these, but Exodus chapter three says these words. I'm just going to simply read these words from Exodus chapter three. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what is his name? What am I going to tell them then? In other words, what's happening here is God is laying on Moses' heart to go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. This is happening out in the middle of the desert at a burning bush that is not consumed. But Moses says to God, God, how can I tell them that you have sent me because I don't even know your name? And God says to him, here's what you tell them. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, that I am has sent me to you. That's what Moses was to say. And so as we look at this I am, this is something known as the tetragrammaton. I hope I'm pronouncing that perfectly right. But you can see this is the name of God. It is often pronounced Yahweh, but is the tetragrammaton or Y. H-W-H, no vowels, just the four consonants. It is the personal name of God. It was so holy that it was often uh, not spoken of off of temple grounds that was considered to be blasphemous. And so if you take all of these things into consideration, every time that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, or I tell you the truth before Abraham was... I am. When he said these phrases, it was just grinding on all of those of his opponents. He was putting himself separate and above and next to God. He was considering himself and declaring himself to be God's son. That's why the Pharisees absolutely at different times when he had these I am statements picked up stones to stone him because it was blasphemy that he would equate himself to God. But here's something that we cannot miss. We start talking about light, and when Jesus speaks about being the light of the world, he's hitting us in the very places that we live. You can just see some of the different things that we often say. His face just lights up when he talks about his wife. Or, it's all going to come to light one day. Or, it's been a hard time in my life, but I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. These are all phrases that tell us what light means in our life. And so when Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world, it's not just the light of the world out there. It is also the light of your world and mine. We have to embrace him as that true light that we are seeking for. I want to share a couple of things with you. And I want to just be very, very clear about something. And this is your something to learn today. We are often aware of light only when we are deprived of it. Light is absolutely everything to someone who is living in a dark place. 
Let me just say this again. We're often aware of light only when we're deprived of it. Light is absolutely everything to someone who is living in darkness. Now, let me just say this very quickly, and I want you to not miss this. This is what our world looks like. From outer space, you can see what our world looks like. You can even pick out Houston. You can pick up that you know, northern town that we don't really like, that sibling rivalry up in Dallas. You can see where New Orleans is. I probably didn't pronounce that right. I think it's Nolens, you know. But you can see where these different cities, you can see where Chicago is. You can see how sparse it gets out there uh, to the west. And you can see Phoenix. You can see maybe Albuquerque, Colorado. You can see there, uh, you know, just different places that you see. This is what our world looks like. And when you talk to someone who says, I am the light of the world, when Jesus spoke that into being and when he said that to his listeners, this is not the world they lived in. When things went dark in those days, man, they were dark. You didn't have electrical lights like we have had for the past couple hundred years. When they went dark, it was dark. And even candlelight, you know, if you want to set the mood just right, you know, guys, listen to me. If you want to set the mood just right, candlelight is perfect because you've never looked better than you in candlelight, amen? I mean, that's the truth, right? Why? Because it's a little softer, a little gentler. It's not something that you want to do work by. It's something that you want to, you know, kind of look good by, right? And so you understand that these are the people that Jesus was speaking to. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. It's the difference between day and night when I step into your life. It is a powerful thing. And if you've ever been deprived of the darkness, if you've ever been in the middle of the night, maybe you hear the thunderstorm roll in and suddenly the ceiling fan stops and you wake up and you look down the street, there's no street lights, there's no house lights, not a single switch in your house, no matter how many times you flip it, nothing changes Those are some really, really dark days in your life. And you're like, wow, does it always get this dark? That's what Jesus is speaking into. He's saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the one who brings light to the darkness. It was a powerful statement in that time. You don't need to miss that. Now, very quickly, I want to talk a little bit about this big idea. I want to just say that Jesus is the light that both reveals us and heals us. It does both. It does both. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm the light of the world, and what it means in your world and in our world in a grander scale. Jesus is the light that both reveals us and heals us. Don't miss that. Now, okay, y'all check out this next slide here. If you can't read this very well, let me just say, breaking news, surgeons complete the world's first successful blindfolded surgery. Now, notice that that doesn't say that surgeons completed the first blindfolded surgery. They completed the first successful blindfolded surgery. The only thing I can say is, y'all. I mean, come on, y'all, you know, come on. So this is actually something that's called, let me see. Uh, what is it? The White Coat uh, Group, uh, White Coat Weekly, that's what it's called. It's uh, a Facebook group that's kind of like the onion for people in the medical field. And I, I did not know if this was a real thing or not. You know how you're not sure if it's fake news or if, I mean, because 
like really, there's some really crazy people out there, right? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. So this is actually a, a, a joke. It's like the onion uh, for folks in the medical field. If you go down and read it, you immediately realize it's all a joke and a hoax. But I thought this was really, really funny. But this is a perfect way to be reminded. If you see those uh, people performing surgery up there with blindfolds on, just be aware that's crazy to think about. That's why it's kind of a joke and, you know, funny. But think to yourself for a moment, if you are a person who doesn't know exactly where things stand for yourself, I'm promising you right here and right now, Jesus, the light of the world, reveals who you are, but he also heals who you are. And so let's talk a little bit about what that means. First, let's talk about the very first thing that it means when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He came to provide a path for those who lived with no purpose. In other words, when Jesus speaks in the very immediate aftermath of saying, I am the light of the world, you can look at this next uh, slide here from John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I, I love this passage of scripture because Jesus always, always speaks directly to our deepest need. And what he's talking about when he says you're going to have the light of life, it's not just you're going to have a light so you can see what's going on. He says you're going to have a light that will light up your entire life. Here's what he promises for us. He promises to illuminate our path. If you look in the passage of scripture that is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. Psalm chapter 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. In other words, he is not just showing you where you stand, but where you are to be heading. And so if we look at what Jesus is saying here, he's revealing to us, this is the way I want you to live. This is the way that I want you to walk. Follow me. And you might not be able to see the entire path, but you can see enough for the next step, which will lead you to the next step, which will reveal your next step. And the truth of the matter is, is that in our lives, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he is the one who is constantly revealing the path that leads us on God's purpose for your life and for mine. And so don't ever forget how important it is that you, at one time, didn't know what your life was about. You didn't know why you were here. You didn't know what you were bringing to the world and giving to the world and why it mattered that you were alive. If you still struggle with that, I encourage you, man, get back to your knees and get back to your foundation where you find that the light of the world says, this is your path and this is your purpose. He is the one who reveals it to us, and we can't walk away from that. It is so powerful what he is saying here. And let me just say very quickly, here Jesus says some more with this concept of being the light of the world. He was saying his coming meant the world has both justice and judgment. Now, I want to be very clear about something. We need to understand that when we're wanting justice, when we feel like we're the ones who have been hurt or wronged, we hear that Jesus' coming provides justice. We're like, man, that's great. You know, this is awesome. But if you're the one who's on the opposite side of where God is, that means for you, judgment is coming your way. 
As Jesus spoke these words, the Bible tells us that the passage of scripture that Eric just read a moment ago from John chapter 8, the Bible says that he speaks these words and the Pharisees are like, what does this mean? What are you talking about? How do you declare yourself to be one with the Father? They're finding themselves opposite of where God is because his son has been sent into this world. But they find themselves in judgment because of this fact. They are resisting the one that God has sent into their world to give justice to the downtrodden and to afflict the comfortable, so to speak. He has said, enough with your people who think you've got it all figured out and are using my word to afflict those who are the downtrodden. They will be raised up and you will be brought low. This is what Jesus came to do. And so here's what I would suggest for all of us. We need to make sure we're on the right side. Amen? I mean, I don't want to be on the opposite side of where Jesus is leading, what he's doing. I want to be the one who is receiving the justice, but not the judgment. And let me be very, very clear to you. You can be a person who seems to be religious and yet constantly makes choices that are against what God wants for you and for me. We've got to be very careful that we don't just simply say, well, I love Jesus and so this is all good and whatever I choose, it's always going to be fine. No, no. We've got to be very discerning because the truth of the matter is, is that we are not always easily finding the path that God wants. It's illuminated, but the thing that clouds our visions is kind of like that blindfold that we just saw. It's our way of living that we do the natural thing and not follow the supernatural thing and there's a difference. And so we've got to be very careful that we find ourselves doing the right things that puts us in the path of justice of God, not receiving the judgment of God. And I want to be very clear, it's something that we need to hear, but this is something that Jesus said specifically to those who opposed him in John chapter 9, verse 39 through 41. And this gives me a little bit of a chill because of the way that he speaks and who he's speaking it to. Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees, the same kind of group of people that were there in chapter 8, when he says that I am the light of the world, some Pharisees who were with Jesus heard Jesus say this, and they said, what? Are we blind too? In other words, yeah, let's talk about the rabble. Let's talk about the chattel. Let's talk about those sheep out there. Yeah, we know they're blind. But how dare you say that we, the enlightened ones, the spiritual ones, the, the God-fearing ones, how dare you say that we are blind too? And Jesus is like, hold on, here's what you're saying. If you would say that you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying to all of us, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the truth is, is for you and for me, we have to humble ourselves. There is also a passage of scripture that talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. The stones that these builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then it says, and whoever falls upon this stone will be broken, but whoever has the stone fall upon you will be ground to powder. In other words, it's going to break you and me from the things that we shouldn't be doing. We find ourselves hearing a little bit of that judgment, but it's like the vaccine, if you'll allow me to use it in our 
today's climate. It's like the vaccine for our sin. It's the thing that doesn't infect us, but prevents those things from being something that affects us in every part and path of our life. Instead, we get just a little bit of that judgment and God says, now go in a different way and sin no more, which is a little bit of foreshadowing. We're going to get there in just a second. So let me just share this with you one more time. Don't forget that you and I constantly have to fall upon the judgment and the justice that God provides. When he comes into this world, every dark corner is illuminated, including the dark corners of the hearts of those who are away from him, but even the hearts of Christians who sometimes wander away as well. So be very careful and cautious. Now, have y'all heard about this thing that's happened via Twitter? Um, It's really strange. They've got this new thing out there where you put the makeup on in the dark and then you post what you did. So like ladies who are putting on their makeup in the dark and, and there was a picture of a woman who was doing it purely to go to work. And it was great. Oh, there's a picture of her. Oh, wow. That's rough. I mean, that's, that's hard, right? Okay, true story. There's no Twitter thing going on about, you know, makeup in the dark. But this is a perfect illustration for you and for me that sometimes the darkness of our own desire that pulls us away and apart from God ends up going in a direction that we don't want to go. It's just like putting on makeup in the dark. God reveals with the light of the world that we are not always walking in his path. And so we need to go and find where he is and be very careful and cautious. All right, so very quickly, this is a passage of scripture that you and I need to hear as Christians and be very clear. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 is written to believers, not to sinners, not to folks that have never come to peace and reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. No, this is written to believers. But here is what he says from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. This is the message that we've heard from him and we declare to you. This is John writing, again, John, the one who wrote the gospel, the apostle John wrote also uh, some letters to a church. This particular one is one that we know as 1 John. He says, this is the message we've heard from him that we declare to you, that God is light. Are you seeing the, the connection? That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Even during the coronavirus, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all sin. It is constantly purifying us and making us the people that God wants us to be whenever we walk in the light. That is a habit. That is a pattern. And I'm not going to get into all of the Greek concept here, but let me just be very clear. That particular word, walk in the light, that's how it's translated there. If you really translated it literally, it's called the aorist tense of Greek. It is your way of walk and keep on walking. You walk and you keep on walking. So why is that significant and why is that important? The reason it's significant and important is just this alone. That it's not one time you come to God and say, 
cleanse me, wash me. I don't want to, you know, be under your judgment. I want to receive the, the things that you have given me in Christ. I want to be the person who embraces the light of the world. But then you do that one time and never change your life. If that's what you've done, you've misunderstood because what he is telling us that we are constantly to be walking and keep on walking in the light. Our lives should look different whenever we have Jesus at the center of them. And so if your life does not look different, then I would submit to you, you need to re-examine self and say, what needs to change so I look a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like me? That is something that we all need to be paying attention to. Now, very quickly, I want us to go back. And perhaps if you were reading in your scriptures or perhaps you've read through the book of John, which I recommended to you guys a couple of weeks back when we were talking about being you know, closer to the Lord in 2020. <laughs> How important does that look right now, by the way? So as we're talking about this, we're going to kind of take a little bit of time to tackle something. This is probably a little bit deeper than we might normally go on a Sunday morning. But hey, the good news is you're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. We may as well just take a minute and explain something that I think will be meaningful for you. I want to talk a little bit about something that you may have seen as you read from the NIV version. If you did see, uh, I've, written, I've typed it out and uh, know exactly what it was. It says there in John chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 11. And let me just kind of clarify. Here's what the NIV version has done. It's kind of set it apart and bracketed it. And then it is said in the manuscript, it says the earliest manuscripts, in other words, the earliest copies of Bible scripts and texts and many other ancient texts that were biblical do not have the story that's found from John chapter 7, verse 53 through 11. 53 through 11. And then it says, A few of those manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part in different places. And you can go back and check that out. But I want to talk about what that means, and I want to talk about why that is when we talk about God's Word, and then I want to talk about the story. If you've ever looked at the passages of Scripture that I preach from, I've referenced this story, but I've never preached this particular story. I actually asked the, uh, the man that I respect the most uh, outside of my father when it comes to Bible knowledge. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Dr. Thomas Marbury from Randall University where I went. Um, he talked about this particular passage of scripture. And he said, I believe this to be an accurate story, a true story that actually happened, but I don't believe that it is originally in all of the different manuscripts. Now, let me be very clear about something. Let's go to this next slide. And here's what you have to understand about Scripture. The King James Version was commissioned in the year 1611. And so if you know anything about that, that means, you know, when you read the King James Version of the Scriptures, that literally was all the way back in 1611. And there have been huge, huge archaeological digs and discoveries since 1611 through the 1900s and even on to where we are today. And so even back in the 1940s, the Dead Sea Scrolls is a perfect example. They, they changed so much of what we understood and verified huge amounts of the scriptures that we know. And here's what we know. In 1611, 
This Bible uh, verse of scripture from John chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 11, there's a story that is probably familiar to you and you may not know that this is the context of it. But in those years, those three, four hundred years, this is an amazing and powerful story that people have loved. And it speaks so deeply to us that there are many people that don't want to let this go. And more than likely, it is an accurate story. But this is what we know. As more archaeological evidence has come to light, it probably was not John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. And by the way, chapter and verse are all put in there by someone else. That's not the original writer. The original writer wrote a story, and just like uh, in Shakespeare or Homer or any of these other ancient texts, later they came by and they put differences like chapters and verses and lines and things so that you and I would be able to say, oh, looking at this passage from Homer or this passage from Shakespeare and be able to be on the same page. That's exactly what happened with the scriptures as well. But let's go to this next slide so you understand. The early church often shared scriptures by use of fragments. In other words, if they had the Bible they would take it and they'd say, oh, this isn't this sacred document that we leave up on a shelf and this is going to bother some of y'all. But they would take it and they would literally rip it in pieces so that everyone in the church would have a piece to take home and memorize. Now, let me tell you something. This is crazy, but this was done because of persecution. You didn't want to have a whole Bible if you showed up. You didn't want there to be a whole Bible in your room because you could be thrown in jail or even martyred for the existence of that scripture. And also know that there were a lack of supplies. In other words, those things that are written down were written on things like sheepskin that had been scraped clean and, and often even on things like leather because if you and I need to write something down, we go find paper. There was no paper with them back then. There were thick sheets of what they called papyrus, but they were incredibly expensive and writing instruments and ink and all those things that we just simply take for granted, they weren't there. And then finally, the lack of education. As a matter of fact, if you don't know, the, the, the literacy rate was well under 20% for uh, right up until about 1820 or so, and then it began to grow and, and go forward. But there are literally places in the world today where entire countries have less than a 37% literacy rate. And so be very, very clear, these people weren't stupid or ignorant people. They were people that did not have the formal education to know how to write or how to read. But what they did do is that they would take and they would memorize those things and they would memorize them in their head. So they probably had a better memory than you and I did because, man, I don't even know my daughter's phone numbers. I hate, I'm a horrible parent, I know, but all I have to do is say, call Tori or call Taryn or call Tatum. I don't even know their phone numbers. Back then, there were people that literally could quote entire chapters of the Bible and the scriptures. And so... They weren't ignorant. They were just living in a very, very different time. And so they would take and they would tear and they'd say, here, you take this, this piece and this passage. And then you take this piece and this passage. And sometimes in the archaeological record, they would show up patchy and they would not always come out very clean. Now, the truth of the matter is, is if you know about God's word, there's more textual evidence for the Bible 
which was written decades and centuries even earlier uh, than Shakespeare. And uh, it's just so much textual evidence. It's incredible. But I'm going to put this back into context when we're talking about the light of the world. I'm going to be very, very clear, and we're going to bring this to a point that will touch you, I think, very deeply. Here's what we know. These words that we know in this story that you've probably heard, it's so powerful and it goes perfectly with the concept of Jesus being the light of the world. Can I just summarize and give you the New Texas version of the story? The Bible tells us in this passage that is probably true, but maybe a little disjointed in where it's placed. The Bible tells us that there was a woman who was brought to Jesus And they come before him, trying to trap him. And they say, teacher, this is a woman that we caught in the very act of adultery. We know the ancient scriptures say that we should stone her. Now, let me be very clear. Isn't it convenient that they caught her in the act of adultery and yet only the woman shows up and the man got away? Interesting, right? (laughs) Isn't it interesting, that sliding scale of justice that we want to put in place? But they begin basically to pick up stones and they say, this is what the law of Moses calls for. And let's be very clear. You didn't stone somebody to hurt them. You stoned them to kill them. They're saying to Jesus, we're about to carry out the death penalty. What do you think? And then they're waiting to trap him and make him look bad. And Jesus, the Bible says, bends down, it begins to write in the dirt. Now, this is pure speculation because the Bible does not detail what he began to write. The Bible says he begins to write, and I will tell you what I think, and it is pure speculation. I want to say that one more time. Pure speculation on my part, but I believe what he did was as he wrote, bent down, he began to write out the sins of the men who were there saying, I demand that this woman has passed judgment on her. And the Bible says he began to write in the dirt and look, I believe he looked at each one and as he wrote the word adultery, he would look at one who had committed it. And as he would write the word thievery or stealing or whatever, that he would look at another one or two who had stolen. Pure speculation on my part. Purely speculation. But that's what I believe. He was riding in the dirt. The Bible says clearly that he was riding in the dirt at his feet. And then he looks up at all of them and he said, whoever is without sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone at this woman. And then the Bible says he begins to bend down again and write in the dirt and that the older ones begin to leave first. You know, the older ones realize they've been beaten. The younger ones stay a little longer, but it gets a little bit harder for them to stay. And eventually everyone goes away. And Jesus looks at the woman, he says, where are those that accuse you? And she says, they've all left. They've all left. No one here left to condemn me. And Jesus says, 
Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. I love this story. And you can see why it has been a story that has spoken to people all throughout the ages. Here is the truth that we need to know. That ultimately, in the passages of Scripture that we see right here, we understand that Jesus is saying to them, the third thing that Jesus is saying when he says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, I came to give hope where none existed before. I came to give you hope when there was no hope to be found. This woman had earned her punishment, and yet Christ stepped in and gave hope. Now, I want to be very clear about something. When Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, he doesn't say, neither do I condemn you. See ya. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go your way and sin no more. He knows that you and I have a past. He knows that we've been places that we wish we never would have been. He knows that we've done things that we don't want to talk about anymore. We sure don't want to talk about them. We probably don't even want to think about them. But if you and I are ever going to find hope, any kind of hope that that stuff can stay in our past and that we can get a new path, it's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Otherwise, it's dark. He is the light of the world. He is the light in your life. He is the light in my life that says, this is how you used to be, but now you've got a new destiny. You've got a new way to go and a new path to walk. You don't have to experience those things. Those things don't have to hold you anymore. Those are no longer your chains, and you are bigger than the mistakes that you have made. He is the one who says, I am the light of the world, and in doing so, he says, I give you hope. It's not just pure darkness out there. You can see the, la- the rays of light shining down. And so today, if you are a person who has never come to the place where you have fallen at the feet of Jesus and said, you're the only hope that I have to overcome my past. You're the only power that I can focus upon to be the one who brings me past my present and gets me past these things that have got me in chains. He is alone, our hope, and he is the light of the world. Mm, Amen. Here's what I would say to you. We can never lose sight of this as a truth. Here is the truth. This is what Jesus wants. He wants us to get that fine line that is constantly a tug of war back and forth. Says in John chapter one, that we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And right here is where we want to be. We don't want to be just grace. We don't want to be just truth. We want to be full of grace and full of truth. And in the process, we give hope to the hopeless. We light the path for them because as dear Abby once said, the, the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. If you are a person who's got a past, congratulations, come on in and have a seat because you fit right in. We all have a past and that is why we needed Jesus in the first place. Now, here's what I would say. Don't ever forget that when Jesus lets this woman go, he says, go your way 
and sin no more. Don't put the chains back on yourself that Jesus has freed you from. Be a person who says, I'm not going to invite the darkness back in. I'm going to let the light shine, not just for me, but through me. And I'm here to tell you that your story and what God has freed you from is the very thing that speaks most powerfully to those who are in our world, who are still in the darkness. They're still in that place where darkness is all around. You and I are supposed to be, along with Jesus, the capital L, light of the world. We are supposed to be the small L's, the light of the world, as we share his goodness and his grace with everyone else. So, as we're talking about this, in light of our world, so to speak, in light of the world that we live in with the coronavirus and all that's going on, you and I, we need to be very careful about our mouths that we don't say, I, I, I don't know what's going to go on. I, I'm worried to death. I'm sick. I, I have no idea. I have no assurance. I have no way of knowing what's going to happen. Because people are desperate for something solid in our world. And I can't tell you what will and won't happen tomorrow. But I can tell you that tomorrow just like today, just like since eternity past, and just like eternity forward and future, God is going to be on the throne. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, it does not matter. He will still be on the throne, and He has the answers. And so what we need to be saying is, hey, I don't know what God's doing, but I know God's in control. I don't know that everything's going to be perfect for me, but I know that God is in control. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. He is the light of the world. I'm not scared. I'm not wandering around in darkness. I'm a person who sees that there is light. And the light is not because of me getting it all figured out. It's not because I was a hoarder and I got everything squared away. I got 23 rolls of toilet paper per toilet in my No, it's not like that. It's not because of you and me. It's because God is in control. And he has promised to take care of us, his children. Man, what an incredible promise. It is our promise to claim. Can I just share some things with you? Here, I believe, is how you begin to apply this message. I think... I already talked a little bit about some things that, you know, you and I, man, we've got more time on our hands than we ever thought we would, right? I mean, we can't even go into work and we've got these things and we've got time that we never thought. And, you know, man, you know as well as I do, there's only so much Netflix you can watch, right? I mean, after a while, it's like, do something else, right? So here's what I would encourage you with. I set up a reading plan for the next two weeks just encourage you to lean in and shore up that foundation in your spiritual life. Uh, you just look at it very quickly. Today is the one that's highlighted in red. Just reading two chapters of the book of John gets you through to April 1st, chapter 21, just that one chapter that day. And then the next day, that April 2nd, pick up in 1 John and read the books of the Bible in John and 1 John. And you can read it in two weeks just by reading two chapters a day. And let it begin to sink in and shore up that spiritual foundation that you need. And here's how you apply. I've already talked a little bit about it, but just let me put words and a tag on there. You tell someone that God is in control. 
Maybe it's others who are wondering what you're going to deal, uh, how you're going to deal with it. And maybe it's yourself that you need to hear. God is in control. If you're a person who's worried half to death, I'm here to tell you that God is in control. And then take this time that you have to shore up that foundation. Now, let me just say something to you very quickly as we end. Let's go on here. And you guys may or may not recognize this, but this is something that I love to see. This is not a fake photograph. These are what are called the Northern Lights. And you probably know a little bit about the Aurora Borealis. It's the the rays of light and how they bend as they enter the Earth's atmosphere and up in the upper latitudes. But let me just share with you, this is beautiful. But there is a downside. If you go to this next slide, you'll see this is Barrow, Alaska. It's actually been renamed for the Eskimo uh, Native American people. They've reverted to what it used to be called. But you probably know it. I probably know it as Barrow, Alaska. It's the furthest north of any continuously populated area in the entire world. It's all the way up there next to the North Pole. But let me just share this with you very quickly. As you go to this next slide, the science you know, that's here says the sun is setting over Barrow, Alaska. It's going to rise again in 2020. Now, stop for a second and think about this. This is uh, an article that's written on November 19th, 2019. And it's going to have the next sunrise on January 23rd in 2020. That's more than two months before you even see your next sunrise. That's a whole lot of darkness whole lot of darkness for a long extended period of time. Can I tell you, you probably know, but check this out. This is a New York Times article and it says, in Alaska, darkness and depression descend. During this time, this is a time where people battle depression, battle even being able to get out of bed because they're just struggling and there's just way too much darkness and not nearly enough light. So can I tell you something? If you're struggling, if you're looking for your footing, if you're having a difficult time dealing with this life, especially now with all that's going on, can I just remind you? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but instead they will know the path I want them to walk. They will receive justice and mercy as they come to me and I will give them hope for the life. He is the one who reveals our place and heals our hearts. He is the God who is the light of the world. And then he goes on, and in them that follow me, lean into me as the light of, light, uh, as the, light of the world, will know that I am also the light of life. Your life changes as God's goodness shines through. Heavenly Father, as we acknowledge you, the light of the world, thank you for being the light of the world out there. In a dark place, you are there. But Lord, thank you even more for ourselves because we were reminded that there are times in our lives where we have been surrounded and enveloped by darkness and yet you have shown the light so that we might be forgiven, that we might be given that word of freedom. I don't condemn you anymore. Go your way and sin no more. 
And dear God, thank you for sending Jesus who would walk alongside us and be the light of our world that desperately needed it. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you have done to change our destiny and to light our path. In Jesus' name, we pray this day. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Don't forget, you can connect with us uh, via the website, via Facebook. Uh, You can always text us and get in touch with us, whatever it might be. We want to minister to you. Or if you'd like to talk, you can always text me. I believe you probably have my number. But let me just say, it's been a blessing to be with you. It's been a blessing to be able to share together today around God's word. And so as we end today, we end the way that we always do. We have just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you guys. Stay safe. Love you.